Welcome back, my fabulous friends. Or, if this is your first visit, hello. I'm your host, Stabby, and this is The Gremlin Fabulist, Season 2, Episode 1. Tonight's story is special. Written by modern horror author Suzanne Madrun, and read with express permission, it is the tale of some horrors that are depressingly real, and some that I dearly hope are not. It comes with a content note for domestic violence, insects, and mild body horror and gore. I had some technical difficulties with this one, mostly user error, but I am very proud to present Suzanne Madrun's For Sale or Rent. Now, listen. The house across the street was for sale again. She glared at the real estate sign jutting lopsided out of the front lawn and knew from the last three times the house had been put on the market that it would only be a matter of time before the words rent to own were added. It had gone on the market every year for the last four years, none of the residents sticking around longer than six months, which left the house empty much of the time. That didn't take long, her husband noted as he wandered past her. His mug of coffee clunked as he set it down on the countertop and she flinched at the noise. She nodded, but said nothing as she watched him stalking through the kitchen in the reflection from the windows over the sink. He rubbed at the bridge of his nose and let out a low growl. Is there something wrong, she asked, as she finished rinsing her coffee cup in the sink. She kept her voice low so he could pretend he hadn't heard her if he so chose, but she could feel his dark eyes glaring into her back. I barely slept last night, had these... dreams. She tried to muster a sympathetic expression, but she had not had a good night's sleep in years. It came from sleeping with one eye open, she supposed. What did you dream about? He rubbed at the bridge of his nose again, and his scowl deepened. Creatures with horrible eyes. He glared at her. It doesn't matter, it's just dreams. Without waiting for her response, he wandered into the living room with his cup of coffee in hand and left her to keep vigil at the window looking out on the house. It was a nice house, an ornate Victorian, but over the last three years it had changed. At first the change was subtle, but with each resident, the house's presence took on a more and more sinister aura, as if the gingerbread latticework had turned into spiderwebs and the reflections caught in the glass of the windows were all faces staring out at her. On more than one occasion, she had caught herself avoiding looking at the house, as if making eye contact with it could taint her and cause her to decay. With a shudder, she turned away from the windows and ventured into the living room. She picked up the forgotten book splayed on an end table next to her favorite chair as she sat down, then pretended to read. Her husband rustled his newspaper to communicate he had no intention of starting a new conversation, and she relaxed. They sat, unspeaking, while tinny music from the old radio filled the silence between them. When at last he got up to leave for work, she rested her novel, still open to the same page, on her lap. He kissed her chastely, a peck on the polite upward tilt of her lips, and walked out the door. She got to her feet and watched him from the window as he made his way to his office. A small, relieved smile played over his mouth and his bearing relaxed as he reached the sidewalk. With a sigh, she locked the back door behind him and turned her attention toward the breakfast dishes piled in the kitchen sink. Somehow, not having a job felt more like work to her than her husband's desk job, but then she supposed if she was going to see her lover every day, she would smile on her way to work too. 
By lunchtime, she had forgotten about the house across the street and was so engrossed in her book that at first she did not notice the low, vibrating hum emanating from beneath the house. As it grew louder, it finally roused her from the story unfolding in the pages, and she looked up. She felt it in her feet, coming up through the floorboards, possibly even coming from as deep as the basement, and she tucked her legs beneath her skirt in two swift jerks. A knock at the back door startled her, and she leapt up when she noticed the time on the mantel clock. The fear of the hum in the ground was overridden by her fear of the anger in her husband's eyes as he watched her approaching and tapped at the glass panes in the back door again. Knock, knock, knock. The sound of the deadbolt sliding back was like a gunshot in the stillness. They need to cut their damned grass, he growled, bumping her out of his way as he entered. Can't sell a house when it looks like it's been abandoned for ten years. Her smile was tight as she nodded and made him his traditional gin and tonic. How was work, she asked as she handed him his drink. His expression said it all as he grabbed the glass from her hand, sloshing some of the pine-scented liquid to the floor before sucking down the rest in one gulp, and her heart sank. He was ready to go on another bender. When he stormed out of the house to go to the bar, she let him go without a word of complaint. It was better to let him go and get it out of his system than... The low vibration in the floor derailed her train of thought. The hum was outside waiting for her when she exited the house, and she bit her lips to keep from calling for her husband. She would find the source of the sound on her own, she decided, and set off around the house to investigate. She walked around the one side of the house, and the noise faded, so she retraced her steps toward the back door. Looking under shrubs and plants, she could discover nothing that would create the phenomenon, but found it grew stronger as she neared the street. She moved toward the noise until she was standing at the edge of her yard and looking across what suddenly felt like a paved chasm. The house with the for sale sign loomed over the sidewalks, staring down at her from empty, black window eyes. Swallowing her fear, she made her way toward it and her heels clacked over the asphalt as she approached the overgrown yard. A third of the way across the street she stopped as every hair on the back of her neck seemed to stand on end. Something was very wrong, but she was unable to put her finger on the cause of her unease for several moments. You're being silly, she told herself, and began walking again. She even went so far as to shake her head in reproach, but the sentiment was hollow. Halfway across the street, she realized what had set her on edge. The entire neighborhood had gone silent, but for the hum. Even the birds and cicadas had stopped singing, as if they could also hear and feel the noise. The neighbors were quiet. No one congregated on their porches or in their yards, she realized with a sinking feeling. Shouldn't the entire neighborhood be outside, gathered in the streets, and asking what the noise was? But the streets were empty, filled only with billows of dust blowing in the hot breeze. Somewhere in the distance, a single large dog barked and then was immediately silent. Or it was silenced, she thought morbidly. Her steps slowed as she drew closer to the house and the apparent source of the hum. Her shoes became harder to lift, as if the soles were stuck in the hot blacktop of the street, and several times she glanced down to ensure she wasn't sinking into the road. At last, she stepped onto the sidewalk surrounding the corner lot, and immediately wrinkled her nose as the scent of rot and something else, something wet and reeking of high tide, assaulted her. The hum grew louder and more intense, until she felt it would rattle the bones out of her body. She wanted to scream, to run back to what little sanctuary her own bricks and mortar could provide, 
but instead her feet moved her closer to the house and she brought her hand up to cover her nose. Things looked very different from this side of the street. The crooked for sale sign's post was pocked with termite holes, and the sign itself appeared to be stenciled in paint the color of dried blood. The countenance of the house was more threatening now that she was in the yard, as if she had passed through an invisible barrier that had made the house appear harmless outside its property boundaries. The long grass of the lawn brushed against her calves as she moved ever closer, and the brownish-green blades tangled around her high heels. Her gut instinct told her not to trip, to fall in this yard was certain death, and she focused her attention on the front door, which seemed to be a world away from her spot on the lawn. She stopped just short of the porch and brought her hands up to her ears. The noise and vibration were so loud now, she thought she might scream. Pain pulsed in her eardrums, her teeth, and even behind her eyes as pressure built from the thrumming bass. Her heart felt odd in her chest, and with alarm she realized it had started to beat out of rhythm, was now beating in time to the pulsing noise beneath the house. Every fiber of her being told her to run, but she had come too far to turn back. She had to see what was making that horrible noise, and to stop it if she was able. Edging her way along the side of the house and avoiding the warped front porch, she halted when she reached the windows. Webs clung to every available corner, coating the house in a kind of shroud. With a shudder of revulsion, she stood on tiptoe to get a better look inside. Her hands crunched as they gripped the windowsill, and she grimaced with disgust at the countless husks of dead beetles coating the surface like shiny, bumpy paint. With a shudder, she brushed them out of the way and held onto the ledge for a better balance as she peered in. The house was dark in spite of the bright sunshine streaming through the windows, and the light appeared as if it was filtered through murky water once it crossed the glass threshold into the house. There was a flash of movement from within, from beyond the partially closed pocket doors that led into an old parlor, and she leaned forward, squinting through the watery abyss within the walls. A man in a blood-red blazer slid open the doors and seemed to both swim and walk at the same time as he moved through the dining room. The blonde tendrils of his hair moved in waves around his head, the strands catching the light and shimmering in the murk, undulating as he traveled the floor. When he neared the window, he paused as if sensing her presence. His entire body rotated as if on an axis, his movements slow and his features bloated like a drowned corpse. She ducked below the windowsill before he saw her and turned to run back to her own house. The hum abruptly ceased, and now all she heard was the horrible, crunching noise beneath her feet. Looking down, she bit back a scream as she noticed insects, millions of them, coating the space between the blades of the grass on the lawn and crackling up into the open toes of her shoes, their movements undulating in a collective wave. Would you like to take a look inside? She nearly screamed at the sudden silence and intruding voice. She opened her eyes, realizing she had squeezed them shut, and stared into the deep blue eyes of a man, wearing a blazer the color of the dried blood red of the real estate sign. He looked nothing like the things she had seen inside the house. Ma'am, are you all right? She gave a shaky nod and ran a hand over her forehead. It came away damp. I'm fine, she lied. The heat must have overcome me for a moment. His smile was warm and easy, and his teeth gleamed white in the golden tan of his face. The wind mussed his spun gold hair, and she felt dizzy looking up at him. He was impossibly tall, and becoming taller by the second. 
She felt the blades of unkempt lawn embrace her when she hit the ground, and wanted to scream at the sensation of insect husks crunching beneath her. You are not fine. Come inside. He lifted her off the grass as if she had been made of air and carried her toward the house. Any objections she felt were erased by the overwhelming scent of the man, and when she closed her eyes she could hear the thrum, thrum, thrum of his heartbeat through the blazer. It was the same noise that came from beneath the ground. When she woke, she didn't recognize her surroundings. The man in the blood-red blazer smiled at her and handed her a cold compress. She took it and wiped at her face, suddenly nervous to be in a strange place with a strange man. There was a real estate logo embroidered over the pocket of his jacket, and she chided herself. What she had seen in the house had merely been a trick of light through old windows. Of course he had been inside, and of course he had asked her if she wanted to look around. He was the real estate agent. If you wanted a tour of this place, you could have just made an appointment, he kidded. She let out a small laugh and instantly covered her mouth. It's all right if you laugh, said the real estate agent, his voice grave. Your husband isn't here. He's three gin and tonics deep at the bar. She looked at him sharply. Excuse me? When he comes home tonight, he'll be angry you're not waiting for him. He will search the house for you. He will find you, and he will beat you so badly this time you will need to go to the hospital. He will tell them you fell down the stairs. She stared at the real estate agent in angry horror. She wanted to tell him to shut up, that none of it was true and he should mind his own damn business, but the words stuck in her throat, because her words were the lies. He went on, his blue eyes darkening until they were the color of a stormy sea. In time, when his secretary complains that he isn't taking their relationship seriously, he will come home and he will kill you. She glared at him in silence, mouth hanging open. He cocked his head to the side and his mouth tilted in pursuit. You have wondered about it, have you not? He asked. How? It wasn't a question. She knew he was right, whoever he was. She couldn't explain it and she didn't need to know how he knew the things he did. She needed to know how to survive. He will strangle you with a rope. He's been fantasizing about it for some time because a divorce would be messy and he feels he doesn't owe you anything. Once you're dead, he will hang your body to make it look like a suicide, and he will go to the bar so he has an alibi, just in case. Her mouth fell back open, and she forgot to close it. The sunset slanted through the windows, catching the dust and turning the light into solid shafts that created a halo around the real estate agent's head. Who are you? she whispered. His smile returned. I'm the real estate agent. I want to go home. If you lived here, you'd be there, he told her, helping her to her feet. Consider it. Her head swam as he held the door open for her, and her skin prickled as she moved past him. He walked her to the edge of the property and stopped, as if unable to go beyond the sidewalk to the street. When she reached the safety of her yard, she let out a shaking breath. She went into her own home, happy to lock the door and let out the cry of revulsion building in her during the trek through the yard across the street. The real estate agent seemed not to notice the insects as they walked over them, but she certainly had. She kicked off her shoes and gagged as crushed husks of dead beetles, earwigs, centipedes, and spiders fell out upon the welcome mat. Pieces clung to her stockinged feet and she stripped off her pantyhose and threw them into the garbage, shoving them deep beneath the layers of refuse so her husband wouldn't question the disposal. When she was finished, she vacuumed the mat and floor surrounding it, running the vacuum into her open-toed shoes in case she missed any insect bits. 
After she was done, she washed her hands and arms up to the elbows, unable to remove the crawling sensation of insects beneath her skin. It was during the fourth time she washed that she happened to catch her reflection in the mirror above the bathroom sink. She didn't recognize her own reflection and wondered how the real estate agent had remained so calm while looking at her. Her face was a horror show, with dried blood coating her upper lip and the sides of her neck where it had poured freely from her nose and ears, completely drawing attention away from the fading bruises hidden beneath layers of cover-up. She moved into the kitchen to get a dampened washcloth and dabbed at the dried mess covering her face and throat. As she wiped, motion from across the street distracted her and she peeked out the window from between the opening in the lace curtains with a sense of dread. There was something in the house, and it wasn't the odd, swimming real estate agent. It was much, much bigger. She cocked her head to the side in confusion and stared, unable to fully grasp what she saw slithering past the windows. There was a flash of iridescence, sunlight on scales, and suddenly an eerie illumination shone from within the structure, glowing from every window and every crack in the brickwork exterior. What the hell is going on over there? She whispered to her empty kitchen. More movement drew her attention, this time from outside the house. A young couple was motioning toward the glowing building and walking the sidewalk surrounding it. Following at a comfortable distance was the real estate agent, who appeared perfectly normal in broad daylight. As she stared at his handsome face and perfectly combed blonde hair stirring in the slight breeze, he looked directly at her and winked. She jumped back from the window with a stifled cry. Something over there was wrong, very wrong. Didn't the couple see the house glowing? Couldn't they see the eldritch things moving within those strangely lit walls? Cautiously, she peeked over the edge of the windowsill and saw the trio walking up the overgrown path to the front door. No, she screamed and hammered at the window, heedless of the pinkened water from the bloody washcloth as it flew over the glass. She prayed the couple would hear her before they walked into what must certainly be a trap. Oblivious and smiling the blissful smiles of newlyweds, they continued onward and upward over the front steps and creaking porch to the decaying front door, but the real estate agent paused. He turned to look back toward her, and she froze with her fists raised for another onslaught. His features became liquid, sliding over the bones of his face until only a blank, flesh-colored mask remained, gasping around a horrible, toothy maw. The real estate agent raised a finger to its purple lips in a shushing motion, then smiled as it slid its features back into place and followed the couple into the house. Her screams echoed around her in her empty house, barely smothered by the hand clasped to her mouth. She watched as the things inside the structure lunged and the illumination disappeared. The silence left behind was worse than the hum. Her hands shook as she dialed the phone, and she took comfort in the soothing whir of the rotary dial as it slid back into place after each number, the sound punctuating the stillness and sliding her back into her mundane reality instead of the nightmare she had woken into that morning. She closed her eyes and waited for the nasal yet mundane voice of the operator to greet her, but there was only a hollow silence. Hello? she asked after a pause. No answer came and she felt as if she could fall into the void residing at the other end of the line. After a moment, she could hear the crackling of an alien static, as if she had turned the radio dial to a space between radio stations. The sound shifted, and she could just make out words in the noise, but they were nothing she could understand. Hello, 
I need to call the police. Again, the odd static, followed by a horrible, gurgling laugh buried deep within the white noise. The ringer protested when she slammed the phone back into the cradle, and as her hand left the smooth black bakelite, the phone began to ring. She blinked in surprise and lifted the receiver to her ear on the third ring without thinking, her movements automatic. Hello? The static was more familiar. It was the scratchy noise of a record left to play at the end, the needle sliding over the end grooves with a subtle crackling click-click, click-click. She struggled to keep her breathing steady so as not to betray the fact she was crying. Tears slid down her cheeks and across the back of her shaking hand. Please answer me, she pleaded with the silence. The forgotten gods are no longer dead and dreaming. The message was followed by a high-pitched screech so loud in her ear she dropped the phone. When she brought her fingers away from a gentle exploration, the tips were red with blood from her ear canal. From the floor, the sound continued, much quieter now that the earpiece was no longer clasped to her head. The black bacolite seemed foreign to her, hanging as it was from the cord attached to the base like a black snake frozen in mid-strike. She looked around her and felt suddenly out of place. The house which had been her sanctuary for so many years felt foreign and strange, an enemy. She was unaware of when she made the decision to leave, nor did she remember doing so. It was as if one moment she was in shock in her home and the next she was running down Main Street. She ran all the way to the bar where she knew her husband liked to drink. He would let her know everything was still normal. He would listen to her and tell her not to be so stupid that there were no such things as monsters and she would believe him because if she didn't, he would beat the belief into her. As she burst through the doors of the bar, unfriendly gazes snapped toward her. The regulars gave her the once-over and returned to their drinks, with only a few continuing to watch her from the corners of their eyes with curious suspicion. The bar top felt sticky in her grip and she clung to it as if she might be thrown clear of the earth were she to let it go. When the bartender approached her with an open scowl covering his rough features, her heart sank. Looking for a date, he growled. She shook her head, horrified. Looking for your husband? She nodded, unable to speak as she gasped for air in the smoke-filled room. The man motioned to the back of the bar, then walked away to get the drink order of a paying customer. Her legs were shaky as she moved across the linoleum floor, and the soles of her shoes seemed to sink into years of rotted sawdust, spilled drinks, cigarette ashes, and old vomit. Her husband sat in a barely lit corner of the bar, his fingers stroking the hand of a pretty blonde woman half his age. His secretary. The cliché was not lost on his wife. She stood motionless for a moment, too numbed by shock to register what she saw. It was too much. She had reached her limit. Without a word, she turned and left her husband and his mistress behind, wandering blindly for a short eternity before she came to her senses. As she turned her steps homeward, her feet began to hurt, and she kicked off her shoes, leaving them to lay like fallen soldiers across the railroad tracks. She walked past the house with the real estate sign, a house that had glowed with the fairy lights of hell itself before it and its unearthly inhabitants had swallowed a young couple whole. She stared down at her feet as she walked, avoiding eye contact with the house. Lovely evening. She jumped with surprise and looked up to see one of her elderly neighbors sitting out on his front porch. 
The old man didn't have his teeth in, so every word came out soft-sounding, as if it had gone mushy in his sunken mouth. I guess so, she replied. He squinted at her. You having the nightmares too, then? Nightmares? He nodded. Whole block's been having them for the past week. You sure you're not having them? She shook her head. No, no nightmares. But I have been hearing a weird hum. Have you heard the hum? It was the old man's turn to shake his head. Are you sure? She pointed to the ground. It was coming from the ground. He smiled apologetically and pointed to his ears. Deaf in one ear and I sleep on the ear that can hear, he confessed. Ah, she nodded her understanding and ran a hand over her dress in a habitual nervous motion. How long have you lived here? The man gave her an odd look. My whole life. In the house you're in now? The old man nodded. Do you remember when they built this house, she asked, pointing to the house with the for sale sign. Again, a quiet contemplative nod. What was there before they built it? The white stubble on the old man's chin made a scritching sound as he ran his calloused hands over it, contemplating her question. I believe it was a rock quarry back then. She pointed at the house again in disbelief. Right there. Her neighbor clicked his tongue against his gums, the sound like raw meat slapping against a bloated corpse. No quarry there now, but there used to be. Used to be this whole block was part of the quarry, but a few houses the workers lived in. My family worked the quarry from as far back as my great-granddaddy could remember. Used to tell us stories about the things down there. His voice faded, and his eyes snapped to hers as if to say he had said more than he had intended. Things? What things? The old man scanned the block from one side to the other, then leaned in toward her. They needed someplace safe, so we take care of them and they let us live. Wasn't always the case. Don't you upset the balance. You're not making any sense, she cried. The fear welled within her at the old man's stories, and she wanted very much to believe he was insane. But the hum started in the ground beneath her feet, growing in intensity until she heard the old man's windows rattle in their frames. The sensation traveled up and into her spine, and she stared at him. Do you feel that? she asked him. Surely you feel that? Her neighbor smiled revealing row upon row of sharp teeth circling around an angry maw. It has begun. The nightmares come to walk the earth again as they did before. Do nothing. Do everything. You cannot stop us, child of man. The thing on the porch, dressed in an old man's skin, gurgled, and its drainpipe laughter followed after her as she ran. She didn't remember falling asleep, but she woke with a start on the couch in the basement. It was nighttime, and she felt something wet on her upper lip. She wiped at it and wondered at the throbbing ache in her nose, the taste of blood in the back of her mouth. From out of the darkness, her husband snarled, I said get up! As she jumped to her feet, he swung again, and she was too groggy to avoid the blow. She felt her cheekbone shatter with a crunch she could both feel and hear inside her skull. She tried to run, but he grabbed her by the hair, pulling her backward. As he rained down blows upon her, the words of the real estate agent echoed through her head. You're lucky to be alive, he told her in way of greeting, and his eyes glittered the color of freshly dipped chrome. With an effort, she focused on the man, though he seemed to dissolve into reality from the very walls. 
His black hair shimmered as if a light shone on him from above, and his features were pleasant but odd in a way she was unable to place. She looked at the name embroidered on his coat. Totmacher. What an odd name. Lucky? The doctor nodded. If he had hit up instead of down, he would have sent your nose into your brain. She gingerly touched her nose, blinking back tears as the morphine failed to keep the pain at bay for a moment. The doctor returned the clipboard to the hook on the footboard of the bed and sat down beside her. She dropped her eyes, too embarrassed to look at him. You met the real estate agent. She nodded, but didn't look up, confused and wondering how Totmacher could have known about the real estate agent. We are only allowed to give one warning to those in need. You have received yours. Do with it what you will. Who is we, she asked. When no answer came, she looked up and gasped. The doctor was gone, with no sign he had ever been there at all. Her intuition told her if she asked anyone about the mysterious chromide Dr. Totmacher, they would have no idea who he was. Since she had left the hospital, she found her patience was all but gone. The only saving grace was the pain pills they had given her made the hum go away enough for her to sleep. Except that three nights after she had been discharged, the nightmares came, just as her neighbor had promised. As the pills worked their magic and pushed the pain to the background, she slid into the cracks between awake and asleep, to the gray area of pre-dreaming. In the darkness, the ticking of the mantel clock resounded through the house like a gong, rattling the windows and reverberating through her head. She willed herself to get up, and with much effort she was finally able to stand. Her intention was to silence the clock, though she would be unable as it had just been wound that evening. Her only hope was to wait out the clock spring until it ticked its way to a stop sometime the next day. When she made her way into the hallway outside her bedroom, she noted with confusion the ticking sound did not come from downstairs as it should have, but instead came from the hallway linen closet. Using the walls for support, she made her way toward the closed door and realized the sound she heard was not ticking, but tapping. Every step she took made the closet door seem further away, and she blinked back the sleep threatening to overtake her. At last, she reached the door and reached out, then watched in numb horror as the glass knob turned. When she pulled her hand back, the knob snapped back into its original position with a loud clack. She ran a shaking hand over the goose flesh traveling up her arms and took a slow, steadying breath. As she debated going back to bed and hiding beneath the covers, the tapping started once more. Each tap was accentuated by a scraping noise, as if the tapper possessed long nails that scraped against the door after each tap. When the doorknob began to turn again, she stood frozen with terror, unable to look away. A hand moved into view from inside the closet, and her breath caught in her throat. The fingers snaked around the door, long and bloated, with broken and curled fingernails extending like hooks from the fingertips. The hand left wet streaks in its wake, and the stench coming off it was similar to the smell of high tide. The skin of the hand was gray-white, the color of old marble left to rot beneath an ocean, and in places where the skin had ripped she could see bone gleaming through. The nails scratched against the wood as the hand slid around the door, and the sound made her want to scream. The door opened wider, and she reasoned that no one should be able to even fit in the linen closet. The shelves full of bedsheets and comforters would make hiding in the small space impossible, yet here was the proof it could be done. Not real. 
she whispered to herself. It can't be real. Her words were answered by gurgling laughter from inside the closet, the sound dampened by the sheets and comforters. Unable to bear the anticipation any longer, she forced herself to pull the door wide open to confront the thing inside the closet. When she saw what waited for her, she woke herself up screaming. The rest of the night was spent tossing and turning until halfway through she gave up on sleep and went to make some coffee, her movements careful and slow so as not to open any of the still healing wounds. When she glanced out the windows over the sink, her coffee mug broke as she dropped it onto the floor. The house was lit up even brighter than it had been when it had swallowed the young couple. She leaned toward the window and stared in disbelief, shielding her eyes. After a moment, the glow faded to a single light shining in one of the upstairs rooms. Something about that light filled her with dread more so than the house itself, and she had no idea why. She assured herself that someone had probably come to look at the house that day, and when they left, the real estate agent simply forgot to turn out that single light in the bedroom with the door to the attic. As she watched, a shadow crept across the wall of the room, and the attic door opened to allow something huge to emerge from the musty darkness above. She gripped the kitchen counter until her knuckles turned white, too scared to scream. A shiver crawled up her spine and she forced herself to look away from the house, but could still feel it watching her. From the bedroom on the second floor of her own home, she could hear the muffled sound of her husband crying out in his sleep in a language she couldn't understand. Simultaneously, the dogs on the block began to bark and howl before descending into yelps and whines. An instant later, the neighborhood fell eerily silent and she turned back toward the windows over the sink, her mouth suddenly dry. The night was so dark she was unable to see the street lamps on the corner or those stationed in her neighbor's backyards. Her mind screamed for her to get away from the window, but she was frozen as a new sound emerged from the pitch night surrounding her house. The noise was nothing she had heard before, and it sounded like what she imagined a wolf hunting in the forest might sound like if it made noise. Shadows flitted through the yard, elongated by the yard light and casting spidery reflections over the lawn furniture. From one window, she saw something tall and pale glide across the grass toward the house and out of sight, and she forgot to breathe. She could hear it moving closer to the window and tears rolled down her face as urine spilled down the insides of her legs. She hoped the window was too small and too high to allow entry to what seemed to be a large humanoid animal. There came a low growl, followed by a scratching at the casement. The sound of glass cracking, but not breaking, made her heart skip, but try as she might, she couldn't see what was attempting to gain entry. After a small eternity, the thing moved on, and she could finally move to the living room where she turned on all the lights. After several more minutes, she was able to gather the courage to clean herself off and put her clothes into the wash pile. She changed into a nightgown and collapsed onto the couch, huddled under a blanket that provided no warmth. Try as she might, she couldn't sleep. The absolute quiet outside, contrasted by the ticking of the clock on the mantel, filled the pre-dawn void like a mallet hitting metal, and she stared toward the fireplace. The second hand lurched upwards, over and over, the ticking growing louder, but it never made it further than nine on the clock face. Tick, tick, tick. 
relentless sound with no movement forward. She rubbed her temples and tried to ignore the creeping feeling of something drawing closer, while in the back of her mind the inability for the old clock's second hand to continue its travels disconcerted her to the core, as if time itself had ended. Hours passed, and sleep overcame her at last as the first light of day shone through the windows. What felt like only minutes later she opened her eyes with a groan to find her husband standing over her. He looked as tired as she felt. Across the street, he told her, and his eyes shone with a manic light. I think we have new neighbors. Come see. She had expected him to be angry she wasn't in their bed when he returned from the bar, but something had distracted him from his usual rage. Rubbing the sleep from her eyes, she followed him to the window to stare at the house. The for sale sign was gone, but the house was far from habitable. The place looked as if a decade had passed overnight. Rotted boards covered most of the windows, and the once beautiful latticework of the porch was broken and sagging. The yard was past overgrown, with long dead grass and an array of weeds covering the lot. She stopped short with a gasp, and her husband gave her a quizzical look. What's wrong? he asked. She stared at the empty lot where their toothless neighbor, their monster neighbor, had conversed with her just the night before. Had it been the night before? It seemed like a lifetime ago, and what she saw across the street confirmed her theory that years had passed. Their neighbor and his house were gone, and in place there was an ornate and rusted fence, enclosing the distance from the back of the decayed Victorian to the end of the now houseless dead lawn. The man across the street, she stammered. What happened to him? Who? She pointed to the empty lawn across the street. Our old neighbor. Where did his house go? Her husband's frown was more annoyed than concerned. There was never a house there. He sipped his coffee, his gaze far away. Let's go meet the new neighbors. She blinked at him in disbelief and looked at the house again. I don't think anyone's moving in anytime soon, not without some fixing. He shook his head and sneered. What on earth are you talking about? It doesn't look... She paused choosing her words with care. Abandoned to you? Her husband looked out the window and turned back to her with a smirk. No. The place looks like it's been sitting empty for years, she cried. Can't you see it? His expression hardened, and the glimmer of malicious amusement left his eyes, replaced by the smoldering anger that precluded injury. Immediately, she remembered the words of the real estate agent and the doctor named Totmacher. I need to get dressed, she told him. I can't go out like this. Of course. She swallowed hard as she made her way up to their bedroom, each step creaking on the ever-lengthening staircase. His footfalls followed behind her, and she willed herself not to run. As she dressed, he watched her from the doorway, with arms folded across his chest, saying nothing. The silence was worse than his angry outbursts, and she wished he would go back to the bar and drink himself to death. Ready? he asked, and the sound of his voice made her jump. She nodded and scanned the dresser for a moment before grabbing a pair of knitting needles. Her husband frowned at her and gave a suspicious glance to the needles as their sharp points glinted in the dimness. What are those for? he asked. I wanted to start on a Christmas gift for your mother. Something nice and lacy, and I needed this pair of needles, she said as lightly as she could manage. She hoped he couldn't hear the tremor in her voice. So you're going to start knitting at the neighbor's? Oh no, she said with a shaking laugh. 
I'm just bringing them downstairs to put in my yarn basket for when we get back. Fine, he mumbled, let's go. When they reached the top of the stairs, he stepped to the side and motioned for her to start down. After you. Thanks. Instinctively, she reached up to touch the cross on the chain at her throat to say a silent prayer, and then she felt the rope around her neck. She pulled against the noose with the hand that had clutched the cross, while her other hand gripped the knitting needles tighter. As the rope tightened, she spun to face her husband. If he was going to kill her, he had to look her in the eyes when he did it, she decided. Instinctively, she brought the knitting needles up, point first, straight into her husband's stomach. His eyes went wide, and the anger flared hotter in them as he realized what she'd done. She shoved them upward, the long metal shafts piercing through organs and lungs as they traveled, sliding easily through anything that got in their way. You bitch, he mouthed, but no sound came out. Blood spattered his lips, and his grip on the rope around her neck loosened. She pulled her head free of the noose and used his shock and downward momentum to move his weight over the staircase. He teetered for a moment and clawed at the air, then he was falling backward and down, the needles still protruding from just under his ribcage. She looked down at her hands and at the floor in shock anywhere but at her husband as he fell. She ignored the lingering memory of him and his secretary sitting in the local bar and the implications, too unsure of her own mental state to believe what she had seen and willing to forget it, to instead believe that everything was normal even as she heard the final clunk of his body hitting the landing at the base of the staircase. At last, she turned to look, and shock filled her. Blood spattered only where his body had hit the stairs, with none on the carpet at the top. She looked down at her hands and saw only her right hand was red, and miraculously, no blood was on her dress. In her other hand, she held the noose, and she dropped it with a cry of disgust. She washed up in the upstairs bathroom, cleaning the sink basin of any pink splashes, then moved back out onto the landing where she picked up the noose. She untied it as she made her way down the stairs, careful to avoid stepping in the blood. She put the rope in the closet of the foyer, then approached her husband. His limbs were bent at odd angles, and his head rested at a nearly 90-degree angle to his torso. The needles had traveled further before finally hitting his ribs, and any protruding portion of the needle was bent from the fall. She reached out and felt over his heart, careful to avoid touching the blood, and her own heart skipped with fear. He was dead. The rotary dial made a comforting, whirring noise as she dialed the police. She wasn't sure who else to call. She already had the story she would tell them. She had asked him to go get her knitting needles from off the dresser in the bedroom, and he must have tripped at the top of the stairs and fallen. She had told him so many times to be careful because they were so sharp and to hold them point down, but he never listened to her. There was a click on the other end of the line, then silence. Hello? Police? She pressed the phone harder to her ear as if that action would help her hear better. Is anyone there? My husband fell down the stairs and I think he's dead. A slight crackle in the silence, and then a strange voice said, Your husband is fine. What? No, he's not fine. Didn't you hear me? He fell down the stairs. He was carrying my knitting needles and he fell and there's blood and... Your husband is fine. Please use this number only for emergencies. My husband is dead, she shouted into the receiver. He has knitting needles sticking out of him for God's sake. Honey. 
The voice was haggard-sounding, tired, yet the menace was still there, lurking as it always had, just beneath the surface. Hang up. Now. The phone dropped from her hand as the voice on the other end of the line said, You see? Your husband is just fine. She turned to stare at him and opened her mouth to scream. He shook his head at her, and the movement was odd and jerky. The bones crackled loudly as he took a step toward her, and she backed up until she was pressed against the closet door. His feet dragged over the slate flooring as he moved closer. After two steps, he paused and looked down at the knitting needles sticking out of his torso. He arched an eyebrow at her, then pulled the needles out one by one, each clanging as it hit the stones of the floor. She was too scared to speak or even scream as he took her by the wrist and ushered her toward the door. Let's go meet the new neighbors, he said, as if nothing had happened. As they left the house, she paused on the porch. Her husband looked back at her, but the typical anger she would have seen if he had been alive was diluted in death. What's wrong, he asked. It's raining. The sound was not unlike rain, a soft tapping against the leaves in the trees and the pattering on the ground. One look at the sidewalks and street told her the weather was dry, however. She looked up in confusion, then horror. Large insects fell from the sky, dropping against leaves and grass in their descent. The majority of them were cicadas, still writhing upon the ground as they waited for the end to find them. She felt a tug and looked up from the dying cicadas and other insects coating the ground like hailstones. Her husband motioned toward their destination, and she cringed at the sound of bones grinding against each other in his neck as they began to move again. They walked across the street to find they were not the only ones on the block who had come to the house. In fact, it seemed the entire neighborhood had come out. People lined the sidewalk and blocked the street, ranging from the very young to the very old, all slack-jawed and dead-eyed as they waited for their turn to enter the house. You just don't see this kind of turnout to welcome someone to the neighborhood, her husband observed with a lopsided but pleased grin. You don't see this kind of turnout for anything but church on Sunday, she thought, but it seems to be a day for horrible miracles. She looked around desperately for someone to help her, to realize she was being held captive by a man who should be dead, but all eyes were focused on the house and its new owners. Please, make yourself at home, said the young wife when at last they reached the porch, and feel free to explore. There are so many interesting things to see. We hope one day we will have many children to occupy those empty rooms. Do let me know if you need anything. Bathroom? The woman's smile was filled with mystery as she looked first to the dead man, as if for permission, then motioned to the stairs. Upstairs, first door to your right. Thank you. She looked to her husband with an apologetic expression. I need to use the bathroom. She didn't wait for his answer. As soon as his grip loosened on her wrist, she pulled free and dashed for the quiet of the stairway. While she climbed the risers, she kept an eye on the crowd of people downstairs as they milled about, wondering why everyone had decided to stay on the first floor instead of exploring the rest of the house, and also wondering how they could all fit in such a limited amount of space. At least her bathroom excuse gave her a chance to escape the unsettling throngs and figure out just what was going on in the house and how she would escape when the opportunity presented itself. She sat on the dusty lid of the toilet and felt like crying. It would only be a matter of time before someone else had to use the bathroom and she couldn't keep the door locked forever. 
There was not enough time to think of a plan. She was sure her dead husband was already missing her. With a deep, shaking breath, she stood up and ran the cold tap in the sink. The water came out the color and consistency of dried blood, and she gagged at the scent of it. Old pipes, she lied to herself. It had to be the result of old pipes. She glanced up at her reflection in the mirror over the sink and moaned. Dark circles ringed her eyes and her skin seemed pale and unhealthy. It had been one hell of a week and promised to get much worse before it got better. A strange noise distracted her and she turned away from the mirror. It was the sound of static, but the white noise was overlaid by some type of conversation as if the words were spoken in static itself. Logic suggested there was a radio left on in the linen closet where the noise was coming from. With a shaking hand, she reached toward the beveled glass of the doorknob and the static conversation abruptly ended. The silence was too complete and she glanced up in alarm. Even the sounds from downstairs had ceased. The only sound now was a ticking sound from above her. She looked at a small wall clock mounted above the bathroom mirror and noted it was stuck at the same time as the one on her mantle, the second hand lurching in place as it ticked away unmoving hours. 22 minutes past two, it said, but there was something off about the clock. It took her a moment to realize there was an extra number on the face, 13. Her hand closed over the cold glass of the doorknob as the odd revelation hit her and she could feel the smoothness sliding beneath her palm as the knob turned on its own. She stared as the door pushed toward her, propelled from within, and a silent scream tried to escape her throat as a gray and shriveled hand reached around the door to grasp her firmly by the wrist. From inside the linen closet, a green glow burst forth and she was swallowed by it with no time to scream. As the door to the linen closet slammed shut behind her, Every face in the gathering on the first floor of the house glanced upward. When the screams began, they collectively smiled. So many children to be born, they said in unison. Well, my friends, I don't know about you, but I am very glad my place is too small for a linen closet. Also, that I'm single. Suzanne never fails to give me shivers. If you want more shivers, check out the episode description for where to get some. Also, you can tune in here on Friday, January 27th, when I will be reading Suzanne Madrun's Blood in the Water. That's right, I got permission for another one, and that makes it officially Madrun Month. I know you're as excited as I am, so until next time, I'd better get to work.